Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and today I am so excited to introduce you to the debut author responsible for a fantastic summer read that I love. Her name is Kate Stamen London, and she was actually a guest on Nerdette approximately one million years ago. She's an author and a screenwriter and a former writer for Hillary Clinton's 2016 digital campaign. Her book is called One to Watch. It's about a plus-sized fashion blogger named B. Shoemaker. And one day, B. writes this, like, Twitter takedown of a Bachelorette-style reality TV show. And then, in a delightful twist, B. herself is invited to be the next contestant on this show. I don't want to spoil the story any more than that, but this is one of those just, like, delicious, plotty, propulsive, addictive books. And... That's not just because, full disclosure, it does have an oblique reference to Nerdette in it. I feel like I should just drop the mic and walk away right there. It's very oblique. The people in this, anyway, just, you just, you just got to read it to believe it. So I'm going to talk with Kate about the book and about what it means to see stories about women of size and about whether or not the real Bachelorette TV show might follow in this book's footsteps. Kate, welcome to Nerdette. Welcome back. Greta, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to talk with you. So I think there are so many special things about this book, but I want to start with the fact that B is both a fashion blogger who happens to be plus sized because I don't know about you. I mean, I've read a fair number of rom-coms at this point, and I can't think of any where the main character is this explicitly a woman of size. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely, look, I'm not, you know, breaking ground here. <laughs> but, oh, of is, course. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly in thinking about the world of fashion, which is a world mm-hmm. that I have loved so much ever since, you know, I remember being a kid, getting the issue of People magazine in, I think it was 1997 with Nicole Kidman's Chartreuse Galliano that she wore to the Oscars and just being totally mm-hmm. overwhelmed by how much I loved it and loving you know, sort of iconic fashion montages like you see in Devil Wears Prada or Pretty Woman, movies like that. And I feel like we've never really gotten that fashion fantasy for a plus size woman. So in Mm. thinking about who I wanted to be sort of the leading lady of this story and creating B, it was so much fun for me to imagine that kind of particular fantasy um, for a woman who looks like her. Well, I think also there's something really special and important about the fact that she loves an industry that isn't exactly built for her. Mm. right? Like, And there are some scenes that really clearly show that where she talks about how, you know, there are some fashion designers who won't make anything past what, like a size eight when, you know, the average size of the American woman is what? Is it 18 or 16? It really it depends on how you measure it. And of course, sure. sizes are 
so radically different from Numbers brand to brand. But yeah. one thing that, you know, I talk about in the book is that two thirds of American women wear size 14 and above. So it's not even like we're talking about, you know, some minority or some niche market. We're talking about the vast majority of women. Well, and I think, too, the idea that you capture really excellently is how, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but like how difficult it is to be a large woman moving through the world, especially one who gets a lot of media attention. Totally. I think it was really important to me in the book to sort of think about when any woman is going to be the star of a reality show or have a public voice really in any way, especially on the internet. Um, Men really feel a lot of agency to comment about that woman and take ownership um, of her, even as she is exerting her own voice and her own power. Um, There was one moment I was listening to this interview with Rukmini Kalamaki, who's the New York Times anti-terrorism reporter. And Mm -hmm. she was talking about being fat shamed literally by members of ISIS on a message board. And I was like, oh, this is how widespread this is, that literally members of ISIS think that they can, you know, feel power over a woman who's exposing their plots by fat shaming her on a message board. Um, So for me to think about a woman like B, who who is fat, who talks openly about being fat, and who's okay with being fat. She right. is trying to lose weight. She's not trying to change the way she looks. She's happy with the way that she looks. But that people in general and men specifically feel like they can take her down a peg and have ownership of her by insulting her appearance sort of at the expense of listening to what she has to say or what she thinks or what she feels um, was something I was really interested in exploring. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of some of the themes that are in Lindy West's memoir, Shrill, Mm, mm -hmm. just about how much, how threatened men are by women who take up space, like literally take up space. Yeah, there is one thing that Lindy wrote in that book that really stuck with me and actually had a big impact on my life was she talked about how the way that she came to feel more comfortable with her body was just by looking at pictures of fat women and just Mm. normalizing it in her own mind. And I found that to be kind of revolutionary and just this idea. And I started doing it, right? I started just like seeking out images of fat women, just like moving through life, living life normally, and just making that because I think we we don't think about how much in pop culture, it's not just that fatness is seen as ugly or bad, it's that it doesn't even exist. It's that there's no representation at all on almost yeah. anything you watch, and particularly on you know reality romance shows like The Bachelor. It's just completely not even an issue. Um, and so in thinking too about you know what I wanted to say with this book and sort of B's experience of being the first plus size star of a show like this and all the reactions that she would get that would be negative, but also what would it mean in a positive sense to be able to physically see someone like her on a show mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so that was really fun and really exciting to imagine. Totally, because not only is she on this TV show and getting all this exposure, but she's also like the desired main character of the show, right? And she's getting put in all of this gorgeous like couture fashion stuff. Like she's made to look as as good as anyone else who's on TV would, right? Yeah, and I mean, 
you know, so much of the book is about this idea of the fantasy and the kind of made for TV fairy tale and the over the top, the travel, you know, you're going all over the world with a group of men who are competing for your affections. And, and it feels like this, this total wish fulfillment, aspirational kind of a thing. But Mm -hmm. then also looking at that, and how do you sort of peek behind the curtains and see, well, but wait, but like actually falling in love with someone is really vulnerable and thorny and difficult and complicated, especially if you have trauma in your life, if the person you're falling in love with has trauma in their romantic history and their life. And how do you kind of parse that really sort of scary private thing of falling in love with kind of a big public fairy tale with millions of people watching and camera crews following everywhere you go? I thought that that was just like a really fascinating dichotomy to explore. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting to hear you mention vulnerability because I think that's one thing that this book does really well. And I can tell that you yourself have done a lot of work. (laughs) You know, it's just sort of like those, I I don't know, at least it took for me a lot of therapy to like learn about like why these things are important. And that especially as like an outspoken lady in the world, I think often it's easiest to move through the world with armor, you know, but you miss a lot when you do that. Right. And, and so I don't know. It reminds me of something my therapist said actually just last week, which is that you can be vulnerable and fierce at the same time. One piece of reader feedback that I absolutely loved was a reader who said um, that when she's seen or or read in the past books about uh, plus size protagonists, that they're always these kind of fierce boss ladies who never feel insecure. She really loved um, that we really sort of got into it with how insecure Uh, B feels being at the center of this show. And for me, that was, you know, first of all, obviously as a writer, I'm trying to create a character with an arc who's growing and learning and changing because otherwise, you know, what's the point of telling the story? But also that it's okay to be honest about that because I think there is this expectation, particularly if you're, you know, a loud opinionated woman on the internet, which I certainly unabashedly am, um, that you (laughs) are strong and you've done all the work already and you never feel insecure and you never feel Mm -hmm. like you believe the terrible things that people say about you. But of course we do. We're all susceptible to that. And we all, you know, even as we make forward progress, we still have those moments where our worst fears come kind of crop up and feel really real to us. Um, And so that felt to me like the only really honest way to talk about Bee's journey and also to kind of see her get to experience her power and and figure out how you can be that strong, powerful woman while still having those fears and those vulnerabilities. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So have you sent this book to any Bachelorette producers? I haven't, but um, I certainly am getting tagged in a lot of Instagram posts where people are tagging them (laughs) also. Um, I will tell you um, that when I was 18 years old and the first season of The Bachelor was airing, so this was in in 2002 and I was a freshman in college really aging myself here, um, (laughs) I did write a letter to ABC telling them that I felt that it was sexist, that they had one man with 25 women competing Uh for him, but did not have a companion show. Oh, uh, so you thought up The Bachelor. Yeah, I invented The Bachelorette. It's basically the news that I'm breaking here on your (laughs) podcast. And I have yet to see a goddamn dime in residuals (laughs) for that. So you're welcome, ABC. (laughs) 
So how much reality TV did you get to watch and call it research? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, in the in the words of, of Mean Girls and Tina Fey, the limit does not exist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I love reality TV so much. Um, it's something I really enjoy. And I don't like the phrase guilty pleasure because I think it's super gendered. Like you're never going to hear a man refer to football as his guilty pleasure. Or meet <laughs> Right. It's the bachelorette and ice cream. It's my guilty pleasure because I'm a woman and I'm supposed to feel shame about things that make me happy. Yep. Um, but I do think that, you know, we should feel joy about all the things that we love, but we should also hold those things accountable to our values. So as much as I love shows like The Bachelorette um, and Love Island UK is another favorite of mine. Oh my gosh. I have a friend who like for quarantine. <laughs> deep in that earlier during quarantine. Well, they are 50. They are literally. I know. It's a season. So if you are trying to make a, a week of your life in quarantine pass, I, I, there are not a lot of better ways to do so. Um, yeah. So I think it's like great to love these shows, but also we can say, hey, the way you handle diversity is absolutely atrocious. The way you support and don't show contestants of color is absolutely atrocious. And the total lack of women or men who don't conform to one incredibly specific, totally harmful beauty standard is atrocious. And let's sort of hold all those shows accountable to our values and ask them to do better. Well, because I think, I mean, I don't know, I would like to think anyway that that is a actually huge narrative thread that's happening right now in our culture, in our society, right? Is like when you really love something, you're allowed to want to make it better. And that's yeah. what a lot of different people are trying to do on a lot of different platforms right now. And I think, you know, in I live in Los Angeles and I'm a screenwriter as well as a novelist. And in Hollywood for, you know, as long as it's existed, there's been this notion that because straight white men are the people who get to hold the pen, that those are the stories that everyone else is just supposed to figure out a way to relate to. And every mm -hmm. time, you know, I think about movies like Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians and when those yeah. movies go act absolutely gangbusters at the box office there's this wave of surprise like whoa other people are excited <laughs> like people want to spend money to see their stories reflected in popular culture how can this be but i think that the more we can vote with our wallets and the more we can sort of speak out and demand that representation and and to understand that it's not it's not a matter of little importance that seeing our stories told and reflected and seeing, you know, not just one black person, not just one Asian person, not just one fat person, but seeing a broad diversity of yeah. those stories. You know, how many more stories can we really see about a white detective with questionable morals? You know, we've seen oh, 70... many more, I'm sure. <laughs> We've seen 70,000 versions of it. What if we saw two fat women total? You know, um, yeah. So, having those different kinds of stories told so that one story doesn't have to stand in for an entire swath of people. So I'm curious, as a person who has spent time both doing politics stuff and watching a lot of reality TV and writing a delightful rom-com, like, have you, have you spent much time thinking about how pop culture specifically can impact change? Definitely. Um, I actually, this is embarrassing. Um, when I was applying to graduate school, I went to um, film school at USC in LA to get my degree in screenwriting. I wrote an essay about how um, 
I thought that Will and Grace had probably done as much to move LGBTQ rights forward um, as any organization uh, working on that topic. No shade to the many organizations I've worked with that, that sure, do work on sure. that topic. But I think it works in concert, right? Because a lot of what you know, sort of more campaigny activist groups are doing is you're working with people who are already engaged in the subject matter and you can do some persuasion, but there are always going to be some people that you can't reach. Um, and I think pop culture can really push those conversations forward, um, first in just sort of like normalizing inclusion, right? But also in maybe asking people to see the humanity of folks who they wouldn't otherwise interact with on a daily basis. And so to say, you know, particularly with, I think, television and books and well now everything's in your living room because that's the only place you're allowed to be um but with <laughs> mediums that are bringing characters into your home and you're spending time with them sitting on the couch together they start to feel like they're really a part of your lives and it can start to change the way you see people and the way you see and understand whole communities and your relationships to them it also seems like in a lot of ways, like the production cycle for a TV show is a lot tighter than for like a new law or the Supreme Court, you know? Totally. Um, and I think, you know, that's, it's pop culture's job to sort of reflect and have a conversation um, about what's happening in the world right now. Anytime an issue sort of bubbles up to the surface of the zeitgeist and everyone's talking about it, that never has happened in a vacuum, right? Those issues are always sort of backed by months and years of organizers working quietly in the background. And sort of when I'm working on the organizing side of things and doing that kind of writing, it is so gratifying to feel like I can be having that kind of direct impact, but also it can get frustrating, you know, how long, gay rights is a great example, right? When you think about 2004 and um, George W. Bush's reelection, that a huge part of his electoral strategy was the state laws and constitutional amendments preventing um, queer people from getting married or adopting children to 11 years later, you know, marriage equality being legalized nationwide by the Supreme Court, 11 years, that's like, nothing in organizing, right? That's so fast, but it's 11 yeah. years. It's a, it's, it's right. a long time, yeah. um, even yeah. though it is in that context really quick. Yeah, it's a slog. Yeah, and, you know, that's what organizing work is. And I have, you know, endless admiration for all of my friends in that space who have devoted their entire careers and entire lives um, to that work. And especially right now are making incredible, amazing, um, just like awe-inspiring progress. After the break, we're going to hear about fictional, much cleverer nerdette inside a book. It's called Boob Tube, and it's amazing. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, so as I mentioned at the top of this show, Kate was actually on Nerdette uh, six years ago. I said a million years ago. It was actually six years ago. And apparently we made a really big impression on her. So I can't let you go without talking about boob tube, obviously. (laughs) So really, the the wag the dog long tail of, of this entire thing is that a few years ago, my literary agent was like, Kate, I think you should start, um, a podcast about women on television and I think it should be called boob tube. And I was kind of like, I don't need to do that. Julia and your dad already exists. And I could listen to, I <laughs> wait, did you really to- say that? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like literally this is a thing that exists, but it, it is a great title for a podcast. And so it then <laughs> when I knew in this book that I was going to be uh, doing sort of mixed media, I was like, Oh my God, there has to be a podcast. I'm going to write boob tube. Um, and so um, that was really, I think, my editors mentioned on an email thread recently she was like of all the things I edited in this book I never had a single edit for boob tube so that was I mean, one boob tube <laughs> is brilliant it was funny because you kind of hinted when I had asked you about getting an advanced copy of this book you were like you you're gonna see a version of Nerdette in there and I was like what the fuck does that even mean <laughs> and it was very funny to text with Nerdette creator Trisha Bobita about it because I was like Trisha, I'm reading this book. Kate says we're in it, kind of. Like, I'm not sure what to expect. And then I finally got to it and was like, oh, my God, Trisha, it's called Boob Tube. (laughs) And we were both just like, that's such a better name than Nerdette. Well, one, one, I'm breaking a lot of news on this podcast, but uh, one thing. So in, we had talked about in the audio book doing like a lot of sort of sound effects and and different things that ended up not being in there because it sort of felt like a hat on a hat. Um, But Mm -hmm. when we were talking about that, I did write lyrics to a theme song for Boob Tube. So are you going to sing it right now? I'm not definitely not going to sing it right now, but I will, I will email them to you. (laughs) Kate Stamen London, thank you so much for chatting with us today. It was really my pleasure. Oh my God, Greta, thank you. The show is produced by me, Greta Johnson, along with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Do your homework! Hey guys, guess what? So you know how Kate uh, mentioned that she had lyrics for the theme song of the fictional podcast called Boob Tube? Well, she emailed them to me and we managed to make this happen. We put them to song. So this is thanks to the help of WBEZ education reporter Susie On and WBEZ criminal justice editor slash staff pianist Rob Wildeboer. Here it is. If you like feminist analysis, don't feel like a rube. Your friends are here to help you while you're watching the tube. From Buffy to The Handmaid's Tale and back to Elaine. We're losing sleep to make this, but our loss is your gain. It's Boob Tube, the friendliest podcast. It's Boob Tube.
YouTube. Hot takes, but no bomb. Best, yes, boob tube. The time has come at last for all of us to talk TV, a present and past. But only the women, right? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Who needs men? No one! Boob tube. I work with such talented people. What even? Like, what the f***? <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.